This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. And today for Pet Chat, we've got Dr. Bob Stabler. He's a behaviour vet and he just loves animals with behaviour quirks. But we've got a special topic today, Bob. That's right. We're going to talk to the president of the uh, Equine Veterinary Association about 20 to 1, something like that, about Hendra virus. That's certainly something to look forward. And, of course, animals. We'd love to have your uh, questions if you've got something. If you've got a pet that's perhaps not behaving quite as well as you think, then give us a ring, 49216216, and your question can get through to Dr. Bob. And you're listening to Pet Chat, and we did ask you if you'd like to uh, give us a call if you've got a pet behaving badly, because Dr. Bob is just superb at pets behaving badly. He's got the good oil on those things, and he will be talking about rehoming a little later on. But right now, 49216216 is the number for you to get your call, your question in, and Jessica has done that. She's rung in. And hello, Jessica, you've got a question. Hello. Um, I just wanted to ask, my dog, when I take her for a walk, um, she'll, like if she sees another dog, she'll give them the death stare and then when they get close, she'll arc up and like lunge at them. And uh, how old is she, Jessica? She's about two and a half. She's always done that or getting worse? She's always or... done it, yeah. Yeah. And what sort of a dog is she? Uh, a boxer. And no other dogs at home? Um, no, we did have another one, but he passed, like he had to get put down. He was an old dog, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. Every, every dog is different. It's the same as us. Sometimes we get on with everybody, um, so the Labrador and usually boxers are pretty good. They, you know, they like to meet everybody and they wander up, tail wagging, and, and it's a very gentle approach, whereas from the sound of it, um, your boxer dog is just, yeah, getting a bit cranky. She's never been attacked at all before. Ah, uh, no, well, like, there, there have been times, like, She's had dogs run up to her yep. and you had to like separate them, but that's about it. Yeah. Sometimes it can be they're beaten, beaten up. Sometimes it's just they just weren't very well socialised when they were young. Sometimes it's just their personality. They just don't like being anywhere near other animals. There can be a fear component. Some dogs I saw the other day were um, quite good at the off-lead area, but... Um, when they um, were walking past other dogs behind fences, they just went bananas, so it was yeah. just too frustrating for them. So the important thing is to um, keep your distance, to keep her on lead, place your body between her and the other animal, try and walk away from the situation or stand behind a car or a tree or a, or a, a bench and then um, stop and, and help her to be a bit more sensible, maybe use treats, but really avoiding the situation, helping her to be more calm, the best way to try and change it is to have actual gradual introduction with known dogs that are very sensible and help her to learn um, good behaviour rather than getting over the top. Thanks, Jessica, for your Hi, call. Thank you. And 49216 is the number that will get your question through to us. Gina has rung in from Georgetown, and you've got a cat with a problem, Gina. I do. I have two cats. I have an older cat and a younger cat. When I first brought the younger cat into the household, the older cat was a little bit aggressive, but she eventually got used to him. They became mates. Just recently, the younger cat had to go in for um, surgery, and when he came home, the older cat was aggressive. She's become aggressive again and very nasty, and it's made it very difficult for the younger cat to settle down. Is there anything I can do with her to when? make her... Yeah, when the uh, younger cat's been to a veterinary surgery, when you think yeah. about it, all those yeah, um, yeah unpleasant smells, blood, right. fear, mm. um, aggression, anxiety, all those things it brings back into the household. So the older yep. female 
as you said, took a bit of time to tolerate the, yeah. the new introduction. Um, so it's that, yeah, just keeping them separate for a fair bit of time. The problem with cats when they get aroused, it can take up to 24 hours for them to actually settle down. So keeping them separate for some time, placing a food bowl, um, yeah. I guess a couple of metres away from the door either side so they can eat, then moving the food bowl a bit closer to the doorway so that they're having associating a happy thought, happy food with um, yeah. getting closer. But don't try and introduce them suddenly because really, it's unfortunately, animals have a great memory. So if they remember that smell, it gets worse. The other thing you can do is actually wipe a towel over one cat, then transfer that to the other cat, and then backwards and forwards. And that way it gets back to the familiar family aroma. And But the more calm you are, the much more calm the animals will be. Right. Yep. Okay, then. Thanks, Gina. Good luck with that, Gina. And Andrew joins us now. He's rung 49216216. He's from Patterson. Hello, Andrew. Hello. How can we help you, sir? I have a black lab Kelpie cross. He's nearly six. We've had him since he was six weeks old. He's very spoilt. I've um, never been um, tormented as far as I'm aware. Um, he has a habit that concerns me. Sometimes he'll be sitting down and you go and give him an affectionate pat and he'll growl. And that's even at me, his master, my wife who feeds him, my kids. He doesn't show his teeth. He just... As he exhales, he, he'll put out a growl as if to say, no, it's not affection time, I, I want to go to sleep. Or, um, Yeah, it just concerns me a bit, this growl he's doing at um, his, you know, his own family, basically. Has he um, ever progressed past that sort of warning growl to lunge or nip? Or N- No, never seen him lunge or nip, just the growl might get a bit louder. Okay. But like I said, he doesn't show his teeth. He'll just sort of do it as he exhales. Okay. The difficulty with dark-coloured animals like black is that it's very difficult to see them either raising their eyebrows, moving their ears around a little bit and saying, you know, back off. And then we sort of miss all of that and so he has to go to the next level of actually growling. So the other thing is really don't disturb a sleeping dog. So if they're in the bed, just say to everybody, don't go near him get some treats or a toy or a lead, ask him to come to you if you want to give them a pat. If you're invading their personal space, again, each person is different. Some people like me from the country have a high personal space or um, like my wife from the city, you know, she can stand in a crowd and she's okay. I tend to get a bit um, jittery. So um, the Labrador just gets a little bit, I guess, um, a little bit uncertain when people approach. Are they going to pat me? Also, it would be good to get a vet check done to see that there's no pain issues that yes. might be back or, or hip or shoulder related, especially in a bigger dog. Um, and regular exercise, regular leadership training with sit, stay, drop with treats and yeah, play. a lot of exercise. Yeah, so that's great. So being out at Patterson. But yes. as you said, when he's gone to bed, okay, it's me time. Forget the rest of the world. So, yeah, just avoid him or... Um, lock him in the laundry at night. Does it happen more at night or any time during the day? Oh, any time. He goes in the laundry at night. That's where his bed is. Good. I get up early for work in the morning. He gets up with me while I have my coffee. When I go to work out the door, I put him back in his Laund- bed yep. and give him a little treat. Good. But if I happen to... If I, normally I walk straight out, but if I happen to stay in there... Come back or whatever. His yeah. treat, if I'm still in there, he'll, he'll growl as if to say, get out of my room. <laughs> and it's not appropriate. It's exactly the same as parenting. We don't accept that sort of cheekiness. So no. it's... Um, you don't... There's no point in physical discipline. 
It's asking them to come over to you, sit, stay, drop, reinforce your leadership, then okay, back on your bed and then depart, but don't yeah. Yeah, allow him to do that. But also just watch a bit more closely as to other signs that might be happening before okay. he gets to the ground. Pet Chat at 25 past 12, 49216216 is the number for your question to get through to us. Donna's rung in from Wall's End. How can we help you, Donna? Oh, hi. Yes, I've got a, a beagle, a female beagle, and she's 12 months old, and she keeps jumping on our car, and she gets up on the bonnet, and now she's progressed to the roof and slides down the windscreen, and I don't know how to stop it. <laughs> And that's when you get home or when you're... Yeah, other night time it is. Yeah, excitement to see you. So she bounces around. Unfortunately, not great for the Juco. Partly being a beagle, she likes to see what's happening. She likes to be involved. She wants to sniff the whole car up and down. Um, If you can, it's um, when you get to the gate um, and you brought the car in, ask her to get into the car rather than her jumping on the car or jumping on the roof. And then when we're in bed of a night, it's not. When oh. I'm home, no. Oh, okay, so yeah, it's through it's the night. Yeah. Okay, so that's partly, yeah, she loves to be elevated. She wants to see everything. She smells the cats all around. Um, and partly the bonnet being nice and warm. It's usually a cat habit that yes. they like to get on the nice warm bonnet. Yeah. And, and beagles are a bit cat-like, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I would just, yeah, provide a bit of a barrier around the car so that she can't actually get to it. And also provide an alternative, so a desk or an old table and put a box next to it so she can jump on that and see things. Of course, don't put the table next to the fence so she can escape. (laughs) But it is partly that she wants to be possessive of the thing that you take out of the yard, bring back, and she wants to feel really, you know, I I like this, I want to be tough and I can see lots of things from up here. had a dingo that used to escape all the time. They built a great little platform sort of thing for it. And it just never escaped again. It could watch the kids get off the bus. It could watch the people come home. And it was so much happier. So, yeah, maybe another little um, fort for it somewhere else. Okay, then. Thank you very much. Thanks, Donna. Thanks, Donna. And Pamela joins us now from Katara. Hello. How can we help you? I have an 11-month-old D6 male Maltese dog who gets very aggressive if his feet get wet. To you, or he gets aggressive at his feet? No, he gets a bit aggressive to me. Okay. You know, like it, it's like he wants to play really rough if you, um, when his feet get wet. Yeah, so it is a control thing. Um, it can be a personal space issue, but very important with small white fluffy dogs to get them clipped back quite short, um, especially coming up spring, first bit of warmth. That way the paw dries a bit better itself. Some animals, certainly the more sensitive ones, you know, you'll open the door and open the screen and, and they'll look out and it's a bit chilly or it's wet and they'll go, no, sorry, I'll hold on, and they go back inside. But once they are out there, it's important that you do the towel drying of the feet outside the door so that they know to get back inside, you're setting a standard, a boundary, and saying you have to get your feet dry before you come back in. If you don't want to let me do it, you're outside and I close the door. 
So okay. it's very important to set those sort of standards, especially when he's only young like that. At 11 to 12 months of age, he will be going through a developmental life stage change where he's being a bit cheeky as well. So <laughs> pr- practice the basic sit-stay drop and helping him to listen um, with treats, putting him on lead, and certainly when you're toweling dry, keep him on lead. So you can sort of hold the lead with one hand while you're um, p- uh, drying the paw. The other important thing is instead of face-to-face with the dog while you're doing that, hug it to your side facing in the same direction so that you're actually you're holding underneath and you're um, drying the paw with the other hand with the towel then a bit of towel play so he can take out a bit of frustration on the towel but not on hands if he does go near the hands then game stops you're outside you don't come in so set firm boundaries and hopefully that'll help him to be a, a, a better young chap (laughs) <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks, Pamela. Thanks, Pamela. And David has rung in now from Bob's Farm. Oh, good day. Uh, I've got two dogs. Um, one older one is a three-year-old uh, Collie Cross, and we've recently got a Jack Russell puppy. Yep. Um, the question I had, um, how do I uh, separate commands to each dog? You know, I... I do take the smaller one uh, away to, tra- to train her individually. Yes. But the, um, when they're together, the older one always does what, the, what I want the little one to do. Okay. Boys or girls? Both female. Both female. So, unfortunately, two girls together will have some competition issues. So, it's yes. good that you've got a three-year age gap. It's good that they're a different breed. But, um, like office politics... Um, Girls can sometimes um, have some competition things, sometimes under the surface, sometimes very much obvious and out in the, uh, um, in the, um, right in what's happening with us. The same with boys in a pub on a Friday night, very similar sort of thing. So very important to practice little bits of training with the older dog on its own, little bits of training with the younger dog on its own, and yep. then together. But when you do the training together, make sure you have one on either side of you, so one on your right, one on your left. So there's a good metre or more between them. And that way you can actually um, keep a bit of a barrier, maybe even putting your leg out in between so that they don't feel as though they have to um, sort of get closer and closer and push the other one out of the way. It's just like sibling rivalry with kids. They tend to sort of get a bit more silly. So very important, again, to take them for walks on lead together and then separately. The problem with taking them separately is that the dog at home needs to have a bone to chew or something to play with or a toy, so it can then um, have something to do while you just go a couple of minutes, five minutes, up a couple of houses, back in, and that helps um, the the one that stays to know that it will get a turn. Very important. Animals are very bright, very intelligent. They know when they're not being treated treated fairly, and certainly if one's getting treats and the other's not, they get a bit miffed, so very important to pay them both. Alternately or together, but so that they feel as though they're getting paid for what they're doing. Yeah. The older one is a very timid dog. Okay. So it needs a lot of reassurance. Yeah. So it's it's kind of like, um, you know, I don't have to raise my voice and she'd cower away and... Yeah, sort of border collies, sort of, they're very, um, yep. they're very 
sensitive, Easily I guess. <laughs> and so it's um, calm, controlled teacher voice, not yes. a yell, nothing loud, because that will make her a little bit uncertain. Will I yes. come? Will I not come? And that's why it's rewards-based training. Same as us. We go to work. We get paid. Yes, we do some volunteer work, but we like to get an appropriate remun- remun- yeah. one of those things. <laughs> yes, <I laughs> Being paid appropriately. <laughs> Seems quite the opposite with the Jack Russell. Uh, Very cheeky, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Standard cheeky Jack Russell behaviour, push its way into anything, run underneath, nip the border collie and then run away again. So very oh, important to help it to... dragging on a tail. The that's it, yeah. So fighting her and... definitely the older dog needs some time away from the puppy yeah. as well, just like yeah. us. We need some recuperation time when we have the kids or grandkids. So it's important that the older girl has a little bit of <sighs> comfort she's, zone. She's really come out of herself with this little Excellent. Pup, yeah, that's um, great. Which is great. You know, she's... She's um, looking after her like it is her own pup. Good, um, good. She's a pup that we raised with a previous dog we had. Good, so, good mothering uh, instinct, yeah. Yeah, she has, yeah. Okay, thanks very much, right. David. Like a bit of a challenge anyway. <laughs> and something that hasn't been too much fun over the last little while, Dr Bob, is the Hendra virus. It's yeah, it's a very difficult situation. Um, certainly, a lot of um, vets are, are concerned. A lot of the horse industry are worried about what's happening. So, uh, I thought it'd be a good idea to talk to someone who knows about these things. So, Chris Reardon is the president of the Equine Veterinary Association. He's currently at a conference in Alice Springs, so he's uh, on the line. Hello, Chris. Good day. How are you going, Chris? Um, what's a brief background of the Hendra virus? Uh, the Hendra virus. Is- um, back in 1994, it emerged um, in Queensland, and it's really um, we've found has come from or is carried by bats. There's a spillover into the horses, and to date, um, there has been nearly 20 cases of hendrovirus in the eastern coast of Australia from Queensland in northern New South Wales. And do they know exactly how that actually came about? Was it just that the virus? Um, suddenly was more potent and then came from bats to horses and then to people, or was it they don't really know? Yeah, the scientists don't really know. They're carrying out their investigations and doing ongoing research. But um, getting a handle on understanding how it spills over from bats to horses would be um, something they're trying to understand. They they have their ideas, they have their thoughts, and um, it certainly seems to have a in- increasing period of time during this middle time of the year. Yes, no so season. yeah, so it's certainly related to season. And and is there why has it been so? There's one in Cairns now, and why is it just just the spread of the bats around those areas? Or it, it, it does seem to be increasing. There is um, certainly a spike of new cases this year. Today, uh, nationally, since uh, June, there's been about eight new cases. And there are possibly a few theories of that, of um, whether there's an increasing amount of virus in the actual population or the actual the number of cases being detected is increasing. But uh, there are theories at the moment, and uh, the Queensland Government are doing um, ongoing research to understand that. In the meantime, we're um, eagerly awaiting the development of a vaccine for hendrovirus. Yes, and there was an announcement at the um, Australian Veterinary Association conference in Adelaide in May about that. That's right. My um, members are are sort of eagerly awaiting the vaccine. We do believe that the vaccine for horses um, is the the good scientific way to go. Members are calling that all horses be vaccinated for horses. And when the vaccine 
is given that it's been also a microchip implanted in the horses. Yes. And a data record system would be used um, to, for traceability. That's right. So what are some of the things we can do to try and, especially kids, I guess, with horses and all that sort of thing, how do we um, keep ourselves safe and the horses safe if we can? Essentially, we're asking or reminding all horse owners to remain vigilant and um, to be aware. So vigilance, if they keep, if they look for any signs of an ill horse, showing signs of being depressed or having a high temperature, if they may show any signs of changes to their respiration or uh, respiratory signs like a nasal discharge, or if they've got movement or ataxic or wobbling signs that they contact their vet and stay away until they've um, really got a an answer on what's going on. It should also remind them to be aware of the need to wash their hands, just simply washing their hands with a keg of soap. Oh, good. So that's an easy way of, of reducing the virus contact. For sure. And every time you're handling a horse, especially around body fluids, being putting uh, the, bit or mother, uh, the bridle on a horse, just remember to wash your hands with soap and especially not to put your hands near the face or your face after handling horses. Wash your gear between handling horses, any yes. or instruments that you've got. And not to feed horses um, using the feed bins on the trees. Yes. I, I think it's um, a fairly um, clear sign that the virus is coming from the bats that are um, spilling the virus directly in the drip zone under trees. Okay. That's a repeated thing. So if they can uh, remember to remove the feed bins away from underneath the trees. That's right. So it, it's really uh, the horse industry has been through a bit of a, a, a difficult period with the flu epidemic in 2007 and, and now this ongoing Hendra virus. So um, as you said, it's just, I guess, people being more vigilant, understanding their animals, working with them, seeing if there is any slight change, watching it closely. And if it is a problem, then, yeah, certainly getting professional help to try and uh, um, yeah, find out what exactly is going on. That's exactly right, Bob. Being aware and being vigilant for the signs. Yes. Okay, thank you very much for your time, sir. I hope you have a great rest of the conference um, and enjoy Alice Springs. Thank you very much. Cheers. Chris Reardon and he's president of the Equine Vet Association and you're listening to Pet Chat and Dr Bob, rehoming is the topic that's come up for today. It is. We find a lot of, uh, there's a lot of new rescue groups out there um, some are great and it's really good and people volunteering to offer their time, um, foster caring for animals that can't cope with the shelter type environment and they spend a bit of time and then um, build up that animal's, um, not personality, but a build up that animal's resilience, which is, is the latest term in children, that they have the ability to cope with stress. So and what kind of animals are we talking about here? Dogs? Dogs and cats, yeah, and certainly RSPCA and other an animal welfare league and bigger groups um, take in horses and sheep and goats and pigs and, and chooks and ducks and all sorts of things. So it's good to sort of stick to the bigger groups if possible because they've got a lot of history. They've got the background of we've worked through this, we've tried these various um, uh, rehoming strategies and protocols and they've got a good name. So... There are just a few out there, especially with the internet as well, 
there's some places that you need to be very careful about when you're choosing an animal to, to take on. So what is the process that normally is followed in this case? In in each person um, might be that they uh, had a friend with a staffy. They might have a friend with a Jack Russell, and that's the animal they thought, oh, it was really nice. So they're looking for that sort of an animal. They often go onto the internet and they, they look at staffies as purebreds. And, and, of course, all the breeders say their animal is the best in the world because that's why they breed that animal, because that's what they, they, they agree and what they think. So each animal, though, a particular breed type gives you a bit of an indicator of what its personality is like. So if you like walking and running, then border collie type, a herding type is good. If you're a bit worried about the environment or the, the neighbourhood you're in, yeah, guarding type, but remember that that's their whole motive and so they will certainly patrol the fence lines and, and, and guard the TV. So it's looking at the breed type, again, with the proliferation of um, crossbreds and designer dogs these days. We have to be careful that... Okay, they say it's a Cocker Spaniel, but it really looks like a Labrador. So it's sometimes that we don't know, and working at the RSPCA, we often have litters come in and, and they say, okay, they look like Labrador puppies, but they bring in the Dalmatian mother. So it really is a fascinating sort of a, a thing to look at. The more animals I've seen, the more tricky it is, but it's choosing the animal that works well with your family taking those people in, the kids and, and even Granny if she's staying with you, to see how they get on with that animal and see that the animal comes over to you, wants to spend time, doesn't come up and jump and push and lean and lick and demand attention, but then wanders back to the rest of the litter. So six to eight weeks of age is the best time to get a, a new puppy. If you're taking on a rescue dog, then yes, you know it comes with baggage and history. So you're going to have to spend more time and people have to weigh up that choice. Do I spend the time house training puppy preschool and, and training a new uh, puppy? Or do I take on an older animal that might have some good habits and some bad ones? Usually we say two to th two weeks to two months for an animal to settle into the new house. And during that time, as we've been talking about today, set good parenting boundaries. So taking out for short walks, taking uh, out to the toilet on grass, doing little bits of sit and stay with treats, then a bit of silly play and then calm down again. Very much like um, parenting children, really. And is it how long is it likely to take a rescued animal with baggage to settle down in a new place? It depends on the person that and the home and how long they're home with the animal and their work routines. Animals love routines, as do we. We like to know what's going on. So animals love to have a routine of we go for a short walk, we stay home, they come home, we go for another walk, we play, we go inside, we sit on the towel in front of the telly and we get a bit of a play during the, the ads. So animals really love to feel what's happening. Some of the, the rescue animals will, they'll be very nice for that first six to eight weeks and then they've analysed everybody and they know what each person is like and they might start to pick on the smallest or youngest in the family or the weakest and they're the things you have to watch out for as the animal is getting used to your home. So um, again, leadership, if they're being rude to one person on lead and outside, but, um, yeah, I, I have other people that say they get an animal because their children are scared of animals. Not a great thing to do unless you've actually helped the kids to get used to animals prior to getting that new puppy because that petrification of the child passes on to the puppy and they think they're in charge. Mm -hmm. So we need to do all these things slowly and wisely. What about fostering an animal? Uh, there are a number of groups that are... Uh, um, 
really looking for people, as I said, to look after an animal, sometimes a couple of weeks, sometimes a couple of months. So um, going into your place, it's like the Guide Dog Association where you um, puppy sit for that first year so they get used to all the different smells and, and sounds of a modern family, then they go to training. So it's really a, a great thing to be able to do, but again, the organisation has to come and, and check you out, check out your house, your yard, that it's secure and that you're a, a reasonable parent to be a foster home. So be <laughs> don't checked. be too offended by that. That's right. <laughs> so rehoming animals. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Bob. My pleasure, Jane. Rob Stabler with us today for Pet Chat and Pet Chat, back next Wednesday after the midday news on 2NURFM.